Truth Espresso, episode 235. Face it, we all would rather sleep in this morning. That's why God gave us espresso, to kickstart our zombified corpses into hyperdrive. And now, giving your mind and soul the morning shot of truth it craves. This is Truth Espresso with Daniel Minnick. Hello, friends, family, foes, and lurkers alike. This is your host, Daniel Minnick. This is going to be a short episode this week. We had a lot going on. My wife was involved in a big event at our church and preparing for it. And so we just didn't have much time to study together and make an episode together. So I put a few notes together to record a little bit of a a study that I did, a little monologue here. So I hope you will forgive me for talking by myself here for one week. But as I think and reflect back on the resurrection that we celebrated a few weeks ago, Easter Resurrection Day, remembering that Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and also that he rose again in the same body in which he died, albeit a glorified but physical body with uh, some supernatural properties. Nevertheless, we recognize that what Jesus rose in was a transformed but still version of the body that died. As Christians, we are not like the Jehovah's Witnesses who believe that Jesus' body stayed in the tomb or was dissolved into gases or is displayed somewhere in the universe we realize that when he rose from the dead and he showed Thomas his hands and his side, that it's the self-same body. He was not deceiving Thomas. And most who would claim to be Christians other than the cults like Jehovah's Witnesses would recognize that Jesus did indeed raise from the dead. But then the question arises, what happened to Jesus' body, his glorified, resurrected body, at the ascension? And so Jesus was on the earth for 40 days, talking to his disciples. Yes, the resurrected Jesus is the one who asked Peter, do you love me, agape phileo? That whole conversation, do you love me more than these fish? Yes, Jesus ate with his disciples in his resurrection glorified physical body that died and now rose from the dead and the resurrected Jesus had conversations with Peter and the disciples and basically hung out with them and ministered for 40 days before finally he ascended to heaven in the presence of at least 500 witnesses but what happened to his physical body there are some people I have encountered them. I've encountered Gnostics in particular, of course, who would deny that what Jesus had at any time was a human body. But I've also encountered those who would agree that Jesus was both God and human simultaneously. So they would assert in some form that Jesus was both God and man, two natures, But they would seem to present the idea that somehow when Jesus ascended to heaven, he discarded his physical resurrected body. 
Now, it doesn't seem that scriptures would be clear on that. Now, of course, you have to really study and dig in to see that he did indeed keep his physical body. But, of course, it's not like it's answering the question, did he indeed shed it or keep it, yes or no? You have to piece it together by studying what the scriptures say about what happened to him, how he's regarded now, and what his current ministry is to be able to see, did he get rid of his body or does he still have it? And I have encountered people, especially those who would call themselves oneness, uh, oneness Pentecostals, who somehow would believe that Jesus discarded his physical body. Now, I don't think this is like a central tenet of their theology. There are oneness Pentecostal groups who wouldn't agree with this, but there are some who kind of arrive at it by inference because their first tenets, their first principles are modalism. By virtue of that and by virtue of deduction from it, they end up concluding that somehow Jesus got rid of his body, he dematerialized it, and that when he returns, he will materialize it again. And the reason for that is their modalistic uh, theology. So, let's ask and answer the question, is Jesus still in the flesh? What do the scriptures say? And I'm going to ask and answer from the scriptures three questions. So the first question naturally is, did Jesus shed his resurrected body at his ascension? As some oneness advocates that I've encountered on social media and have argued for, it seems to me pretty clear, given how the scriptures regard Christ in the present tense, they regard Christ in heaven in the present tense, and there's nothing specific that says that he transformed or shed his body in some way, because as he ascended into heaven... In Acts chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And when he, referring to Jesus, had spoken these things, while they, the disciples, beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And so he's taken up, and then he goes up into the clouds, and then the clouds seem to be said to hide him from their sight. So it seems that once he goes out of the clouds, the clouds are hiding what they currently had seen before. So they saw him in his resurrected body. The clouds hid that from their sight. The clouds did not change anything. There's nothing said that he then changed from that point, but the clouds concealed the one whom they saw out of their sight. I want to get to a verse that I have seen some oneness Pentecostals make issue of that try to prove that Jesus is currently no longer in the flesh. So I look at Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. It says, who, referring to Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death and was heard in that he feared. And then verse 8 says, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. So these verses seem to speak of Jesus in kind of a past tense is re referring back in the past that though he were a son 
this is what happened and also in the days of his flesh so it's looking back that there were days that you can call the days of his flesh but the writer of the hebrews at least in this verse taken in isolation seems to be saying that by implication he is now not in the days of his flesh now of course is the writer of the hebrews making a statement of reality about the past that in reference to it is no longer applicable well sure but the question is by implication is it saying that christ is no longer in the flesh no so what does it mean when it says that jesus in the days of his flesh well of course it doesn't have to wax eloquent with terminology theological terminology to address every possible <laughs> question that could be given or asked based on the wording here no it's saying in the days of his flesh the word flesh there is a simple synecdoche to refer to the days of his um, earthly ministry the days in of his incarnation before his death it is not specifically referring to the fact that he no longer has flesh. It's talking about the days of his flesh as he related to us in the trials of life, in mortal body, in the days of temptation and pain and so on before his death and resurrection. That's the days of his flesh. It doesn't mean that he's no longer in any kind of flesh that he got rid of his glorified body in john gill's commentary i read quote it is not to be concluded from hence that he has not flesh now or is not in the flesh for it is certain that he had flesh after his resurrection only now he is free from all the infirmities of the flesh the pains and sorrows and griefs of it which he endured when here on earth unquote because the word flesh in the Bible can have, you know, different applications. It can refer to meat that is eaten. It can refer to the mere body without any other component of the human nature, such as soul or spirit, if you want to be a dichotomous or trichotomous. Or flesh itself can also refer to the whole of the human nature, like body and soul and spirit, such as I would argue in John 1.14, when it says, Kaihalaga sarks againeta, or the word became flesh. It doesn't mean he transformed into flesh. I talked about that in a previous episode. It means that flesh came into being. He came into being manifest in the flesh, but also the word flesh there, I would say, means it's a synecdoche to indicate that he became fully human. He took on a full human nature. He lacked nothing of what it meant to be human. Because it also doesn't mean that becoming sarks or becoming flesh would mean taking on the nature of a sheep or a goat, a cow, a bull or whatever. It's a synecdoche to refer to human nature. And so in the days of his flesh does not mean that Jesus Christ now does not have his resurrected glorified body. 
I want to look at Peter's first sermon. So we have here the first sermon of the church in which Jesus Christ gave the church to his disciples in his absence after his ascension. We see at Pentecost... In Acts chapter 2, verses 30 through 36, we see a lot of signals here indicating the present reality of Jesus Christ. So Peter tells his listeners here, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to his flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell or Hades, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand, until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. So what is Peter saying? He says that there's a promise in the Psalms that David wrote that he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He said he was speaking of the resurrection of Christ. So wait, what throne was Jesus sitting upon? Peter seems to be interpreting the Psalm saying that where David said that God would not leave his soul in Hades, and neither would his flesh see corruption, being fulfilled in his descendant who would end up being Jesus sitting on the throne of David. But Peter says that this was a prophecy that God would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. So what does it mean that Christ was sitting on the throne of David? Well, Peter applies and says, This Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted. It seems, now I know, yes, different eschatological views, different views about uh, future things might say that Christ is not yet seated on David's throne. But a good argument could be made that Peter is saying, well, the prophecy was fulfilled in the resurrection of Christ. He says that David is not ascended to the heavens. We saw that Jesus Christ ascended up into heaven. But then he says, sit thou in my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Now, this is quoting from Psalm 110, verse 1, which, if you didn't know, that verse is actually the most quoted, most paraphrased, the most alluded to verse from the Old Testament. It's not the just shall live by faith or something like that. The most quoted referred to verse from the Old Testament in the New Testament is Psalm 110.1. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your foes your footstool or your enemies a footstool for your feet. 
And Peter seems to be saying that that's fulfilled when Jesus is literally ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and reigning until his enemies are a footstool for his feet. The Psalms are fulfilled in that Jesus has risen from the dead, and then he says that he's ascended, which you're all witnesses, raised from the dead. The disciples saw that he ascended, but now he's in heaven with the Father, seated at the right hand. So if Jesus is presently at the right hand of the Father, seated there, reigning after he ascended, and the prophecy that his flesh would not see corruption and that his soul would not be left in Hades. So he's raised up as they saw in his resurrected body and he's now seated at the right hand of the Father and that then therefore God hath made the same Jesus whom you have crucified. Yes, that one, both Lord and Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and this is the descendant of David. And as a descendant of David, he's the seed of David that Peter emphasized that God had sworn an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise him up to sit on his throne. It seems pretty clear that Jesus Christ is raised up, still in the flesh, sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father in fulfillment of the promise to David. Given all those factors, it would seem that there's no indication that Jesus changed in his ascension or that he shed his resurrected, glorified physical body. How is your flame of truth, Christian? Is it burning bright? Hi, I'm Rebecca Bershwinger, creator and host of One Little Candle, a weekly podcast dedicated to encouraging, empowering, and equipping believers to be the light that God has called us to be, so that we may pass down undefiled the truth of God's infallible word to the next generation. So join me and light your own little corner of the world. You can listen to One Little Candle on all major podcast platforms or at christianpodcastcommunity.org. Now, I want to get to the second question. Is Jesus presently a mediator and intercessor at the right hand of the Father? Now, it is clear, of course, if we read that well-known verse, 1 Timothy 2.5, where it says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, that that would indicate that Jesus Christ right now, presently, as we have seen, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, that as being seated at the right hand of the Father and reigning, he also has the ministry of mediation between humanity and God the Father. Now, I saw, I read a short little question and answer from a oneness position. This is from gloriouschurch.com. I'll put a link to this question in the show notes. So, the Glorious Church website has the question, what does it mean for Jesus to be mediator? And the answer, part of the answer, I quote, We see the crucifixion as the once and for all intercession. We do not believe the man Jesus is continuing to intercede in a literal way. We also believe that the man who was crucified was God the Father in the flesh, unquote. 
So you see the oneness um, answer to this question committed to presenting a modalistic answer because Jesus to them is kind of like the second of three ways in which God is revealed through history that Jesus died and they agree that he rose in his body and then he ascended to heaven. But then the question is, well, what is Jesus doing now if the Holy Spirit is here on earth? Because they want to say that basically God was the Father in the Old Testament, is Jesus during the gospel period, and then he's the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the incarnation of the Holy Spirit. He's the Holy Spirit basically in a body, and the Holy Spirit is the same thing as the Father. And Jesus is his own father and and his own son, as such as that. But, of course, if Jesus is not really Jesus right now, he's the Holy Spirit, well, what about the verses talking about Jesus being at the right hand of the Father? It seems that some oneness advocates want to take that as basically kind of a just a statement of what he has accomplished on the cross and via his resurrection, but not in any way indicating the present reality of Jesus, that there's the Father, that there's Jesus at the right hand of the Father. However, you want to understand that it's indicating a distinction an ongoing personal distinction between the father and jesus at the same time while the holy spirit is on earth ministering reconciliation convicting the world of sin of righteousness and of judgment and as jesus had told his disciples if i go not away the comforter the holy spirit would not come to you But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And he referred to the Holy Spirit as another comforter, not the same comforter, a different comforter. Because Jesus was a comforter, a parakletos to his disciples. But if he went away, he was telling them not to be sorrowful. And he and the Father both would send the Holy Spirit to be another comforter. And while the Holy Spirit is the comforter on the earth in the place of Jesus' ministry while he was in the flesh on earth, Jesus is ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of the Father, and interceding on our behalf before the Father, And he's a mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So as much as oneness advocates want to blur the distinction between Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit, the scriptures are clear that there is always and ever a distinction between the three and presently. Because we also see in Romans chapter 8 verse 34, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. So we see a statement about the past that Jesus Christ died, and a statement about the past that Jesus is risen. Now, that's present tense. He is in a risen state, but him rising from the dead is a a statement of fact that happened in the past. But then 
he also presents a present reality who is present tense even at the right hand of God and who also maketh intercession present tense for us. So Jesus Christ is presently in heaven making intercession and he's at the right hand of the Father. Now, how is it that Jesus Christ is even qualified to make intercession for us? What is inherent in that role? What is inherent in the role of being the mediator between God and man, but the one who is both God and man himself? So the one who has made satisfaction or satisfaction to the Father on our behalf through his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection, he is then the perfect high priest who can make intercession and be the mediator between God and man because he is both God and man perfectly and he has fulfilled the divine mission. And if he is present tense at the right hand of God and present tense making intercession for us, it would naturally follow from that that he is also present tense in his resurrected glorified body. That is why he can be the mediator and intercessor because he still has both the natures of humanity and deity. We also see in Hebrews 7 verses 24 through 25, it says, quote, But this man, because he continueth ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood, referring to Jesus as priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now, verse 25, Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Unquote. So Jesus, as priest after the order of Melchizedek, who we're told in the beginning of Hebrews chapter 7 that Melchizedek doesn't have beginning of days or end of life pertaining to his priesthood. There's no qualifier that says that his priesthood can only start and must end at a certain age, that therefore the priesthood is open-ended of Melchizedek, and therefore Jesus Christ, who's a priest after that superior order of priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the priesthood of Aaron, and Jesus Christ ever lives, so as long as he's alive, which means forever, he ever lives to make intercession for the saints. So, I think it's reasonable to conclude from these verses that we just read, contrary to the way oneness Pentecostals might be inclined to treat Jesus presently today, that he's not really Jesus as he was known on earth or as he was known when he resurrected, that that Jesus essentially doesn't exist because somehow he's the Holy Spirit now on earth, but then Jesus will return from heaven in the flesh again. Yeah, I would say that the commitment to modalism, oneness, teaching requires you to have to do gymnastics when it comes to ecclesiology, eschatology, the ministry of both Jesus and the Holy Spirit as the scriptures lay out today, and how the Father has given the kingdom to the Son, the Son sits at his right hand, the Son reigns till his enemies are made his footstool. And then when he returns, he gives the kingdom to the Father again. 
There is that distinction in personhood, and the Holy Spirit during this time, during the church age, the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, pointing people to Jesus Christ, not to himself. It says really that the Holy Spirit will not speak of himself. So if the Holy Spirit is not speaking of himself, then if Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are the same person, how do we make understanding of that properly? Is the Holy Spirit supposed to, it's not speaking of himself, but is referring to himself as he's known in the past, but no longer really exists in that state? That doesn't make much sense to me. So, did Jesus shed his resurrected body at his ascension? It seems that the scriptures say no. Is Jesus presently a mediator and intercessor at the right hand of the Father? It seems that the scriptures say indeed yes. And now the third and final statement or point that I would like to make, not in the form of a question, is that God reconciled to man forever implies that Jesus is the God-man forever. So we see the language in the New Testament in the epistles referring to how Jesus Christ is made heir of all things by what he has accomplished via his death and resurrection. And we see in Romans chapter 8, verses 16 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. There's this reconciliation. There is this harmony of Christ with us by virtue of Christ taking on our human nature. And that therefore, because he's the substitute and he died on the cross and he rose again. Yes, the scriptures repeatedly in the New Testament refer to the fact that Jesus is the first fruits of our resurrection. And if Jesus shed his resurrected body, is that the first fruits of what we will experience? That if we're resurrected and glorified in the future, that we will shed it at some point? Yeah, there's that point too. But if Jesus Christ being heir of all things via his resurrection and via him being united to us with our human nature here, That makes us, as believers, become children of God. Now, notice the Apostle Paul says, If children of God, then heirs. How is that made possible? Why? Well, if God owns all things, and if we are made children of God by the God-man, Jesus Christ, then it follows that we're also heirs. Now, notice he says, Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now, if Christ doesn't have his human body right now, then how are we made heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him and that we're glorified together? It would seem that basically the reality of that heirship is kind of put on hold. And if Jesus Christ rematerializes the body in which he was resurrected and glorified, 
is it really the same one? It could be 2.0, it could be recreated, but is it really the same one that was risen from the dead? And how can we be present tense, joint heirs with Christ? It says that we are present tense, children of God, and if children, then heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are present tense heirs with Christ because Christ still is the God-man. We notice the distinction between humans and angels in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 13 through 14. It says, But to which of the angels said he at any time, Sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? We see that that's what the Father says to the Son. Now, verse 14 Are they, the angels, not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them, the saints, who shall be heirs of salvation? So yes, we are heirs of salvation because Jesus Christ is the God-man and his sacrifice was a substitute on our behalf, not for the angels as Hebrews chapter 2 refers to. So, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we are now heirs with him. He didn't reconcile the angels. He didn't make the angels heirs of salvation. And the angels are all ministering spirits. They minister to us who shall be heirs. And we are heirs with Christ because Christ currently is the risen, glorified God-man. 2 Timothy 2, verses 11 through 13, the apostle gives us just how much we relate to Christ. He says, It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth faithful, he cannot deny himself. So we see in these verses how we are united to Christ. We suffer with him. We reign with him. He does not deny himself. We are members of his body. He does not deny himself. We are secure in him. We are the purchased possession. And if we are so united to Christ, how can we be united to someone right now? who is somehow not interceding presently and who is not really seated at the right hand of the Father and who is not currently in the flesh as we are. We cannot relate to that. We cannot be joint heirs with that. And he would not seem to be in such a position where he could deny himself if we are called the body of Christ. And I'd like to read a few verses to close this as we see in Job chapter 9 and the book of Job is very likely the oldest book in the Bible. But Job realized that he needed a true mediator between God and man. So Job 9 verses 32 through 35, he says, For he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. He's referring to God there. Neither is there any daysman betwixt us that might lay his hand upon us both. 
Let him take his rod away from me, and let not his fear terrify me. Then would I speak and not fear him. But it is not so with me. So Job recognized the need for perfect reconciliation and mediation between God and man. And he says of God, for he is not a man as I am, that I should answer him and we should come together in judgment. Neither is there any daysman between us that might lay his hand upon us both. And I would submit that the one who lays his hand upon both is the one who by nature is both. So if God is not a man and that that's a problem for true mediation and reconciliation between God and man, then we need the daysman, the mediator, the advocate who can lay his hand upon both. And that would imply that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ being the perfect God-man who does indeed lay his hand upon both. And that's not something that's merely in the past when he was on earth for 33 and a half years or so. That's right now. He is currently the mediators we've seen in the scriptures. Seated at the right hand of the Father. And he presently does lay his hand upon both the Father God and the sinner who becomes a saint. Job recognized the reality and the need for that, and that is a present reality for those who had come to Jesus Christ, come to the Father by way of Jesus Christ, and would believe the gospel that Jesus Christ is the true God in the flesh, God incarnate, the one person who took on a human nature such that he's one person with two natures, the God-man, fully God, fully man, who then lived a perfect life, died as the Lamb of God, the perfect sinless Lamb of God, and on the third day rose from the dead, ascended to heaven in his glorified body, and is now the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. He's made Lord and Christ. He's ruling and reigning until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. He's also the intercessor. He's the advocate with the Father, and he lays his hand upon us both. And I think that is such beauty in the scriptures. And if you think that Jesus Christ is no longer in the flesh, how does that give you hope? How does that even make sense of the scriptures? But how can you see Jesus Christ as the one, the daysman who can lay his hand upon both if he's not both right now? I hope this uh, short little study was helpful in that you can realize that Jesus Christ is still in his resurrected body, even as some people who call themselves Christians would challenge that for reasons that basically move them and force them to think this way because they have commitment to principles other than what the scriptures have revealed about our triune God. And so, stay tuned for the next episode of Truth Espresso, and God bless. Thank you for waking up with Truth Espresso. Good morning, and God bless your day. Hey friends, Daniel Minnick here again. If you liked waking up to this episode of Truth Espresso, I would really appreciate it if you would rate it on Apple Podcasts, 
Stitcher, or whatever application you use to listen to Truth Espresso.